Good morning, church. It's great to be here with you, and uh, it's always wonderful for me to be able to come down south and get in some warmer weather, and uh, I always love coming here to be with Pastor Tilly and his congregation here at uh, Liberty Baptist Church in Wilmington, North Carolina. I'm thankful for the invitation to come, and uh, you all have been a blessing to our ministry with Jewish Worldwide Mission Ministries. Uh, you have been such a blessing to our ministry uh, by your prayers and your financial giving uh, monthly to our, to our efforts in evangelizing the Jewish population primarily. The Bible says to the Jew first and also to the Greek, and that's what we're doing. That's the burden that God has given us, and that's the ministry that we have been engaged in for the past 20 years. Well, I want to talk to you about some very interesting things. I think they're very interesting, and they're very relevant, that's for certain. How many of you have heard that Russia invaded Ukraine a few months ago? Yeah, well, a month, a year ago in April, I was in Ukraine for a month, uh, or almost a month. The year before that, I was in Ukraine for a full month. I've been to Ukraine 19 times, and I have helped plant churches there, and I've uh, had the privilege of ministering and seeing thousands of people come to Christ in Ukraine. And uh, I have a lot of good friends um, in that part of the world. And so this is very close to my heart. My dear friend, uh, Yevgen Kosachenko uh, and his son Nikita are both in Ukraine, in Nepopetrov, Ukraine. Any male from 16 to 60 cannot leave the country because they're needed to fight Russians. And so the rest of the family, his wife Olga, his two daughters, Dasha and, and uh, Sophia, and his youngest son, Evan, who's 15, will be coming to where I live and staying at my home church, Parsonies. We have a missions, a prophet's conference, or a prophet's uh, house there, chamber, whatever you want to call it. And so they'll be coming there on July 14th. They got out of the country in time. Uh, his sister lives in, in uh, Holland, and so his mother and his wife, two daughters and youngest son, all fled Ukraine several months ago. So I want to talk about this invasion by Russia because it's very prophetic. It's very significant because the Bible has much to say about it. And uh, that, may, that may seem a little difficult for you, but it's, uh, it's not. But this Russia-Ukraine war obviously is not something that uh, Vladimir Putin be proud of, though he seems to be quite proud of himself. I remember the very first time I went to Ukraine, I was with Dr. Bob Gray and, and some other ministers. And uh, when I went to Ukraine, we got off an airplane in Nepopetrov, uh, Ukraine. We had flown on uh, Austrian Airlines, and so from Vienna to Nepopetrov, and I got off the plane and I took a picture of the aircraft and we were walking to go up through passport control and two Russian or Ukrainian soldiers 
grabbed me by both arms and escorted me back to the front of the airport to a, to a small room. And the first thing that went through my mind was the last thing my wife had told me before I left Ohio at that time. She goes, don't do something stupid and get sent to Siberian salt mines, okay? I hadn't been there five minutes, I was already being arrested. They, they asked for my camera. Now, you gotta understand, this was right after communism fell. This was in the late 1990s. And so Ukraine was still quite communistic. And these soldiers were very communistic. And I had spent 13 years in the military and didn't like Russians to begin with, okay? So the, that was the bottom line. And, and uh, so they asked for my camera and I said, you can't have my camera. And they said, uh, they said camera. And I said, nope, yet my camera. And they said, camera. And I said, nope, I thought we was gonna have a fight there. And uh, it was a $1,300 Nikon. I wasn't about to part with it. And uh, so then the guy went out and came back with a guy who could speak a little English. He says, uh, film, no pictures. And they took the film out of my camera. And uh, I, I remember going back and Dr. Bob Gray looked at me from Jacksonville, Florida. And he said, the bear's not dead. He's just hibernating. And I thought, boy, isn't that the truth? And so... Since uh, February, of course, we know what's happened here in that part of the world. Uh, Russia has been sending tanks, and they've had uh, one time a 30, 40-mile convoy of tanks rolling into Ukraine. When you think about Ukrainian people, you think about a, it was the largest Soviet satellite country in the USSR. It's where Chernobyl took place, and uh, the you remember the nuclear meltdown that they had and all of the people that were killed and reindeer are no longer in Norway and in that part of the world because of the radiation that spread from that Chernobyl accident. Uh, when you think about the people of Ukraine and, and you think about the size of the Russian army uh, and the might of the Russian army, well, I don't think Russia's as mighty as they thought they were. Uh, because what should have taken maybe a couple of weeks in their mind has, uh, has still not taken place. So when you think about all the, the, the terrible things that have happened, and you think about the, the weaponry, the munitions that have been sent to Ukraine by Western countries and NATO, think about babushkas. A babushka in Russian is an old woman. You're learning how to fire a rifle so that she might protect herself. The people of Ukraine have been very resilient. People trying to get out of the country because the Russians were coming, literally. And people would walk and come to their tent meeting. And, and I rented a tent and it was set up for us. And, we packed it out for three days in a row. We gave everybody who came a Russian synodal version Bible. And, um, and some of these people had never had a Bible in their life. And they would grab the Bible and clutch it to their chest. And uh, we saw 147 people saved there in one night. One night. And uh, people coming uh, from different parts of the city to, because they heard the music. And that attracted them. And when they got there, they stayed for the preaching. 91-year-old Holocaust survivor perished in a basement in Mariupol. She survived the Holocaust, but she died during this war. She froze to death. 
in a basement. They buried her in a park across the street. Matter of fact, Ukraine has four of the 40 largest cities in the world of Jewish population. America has 25 of the 40 largest cities in the world of Jewish population. So between the U.S. and Ukraine, that's 75% of the largest, 40 largest cities in the world of Jewish population. So that's one reason I've been there 19 times. Uh, it's a great place to win Jewish people to Christ. And uh, it's not hard to do that if, if they will give you the time of day and allow you to uh, sit down and explain the Bi from the Bible what God's Word says. Why is all this so relevant? That's a good question. Why is it so relevant? Open your Bibles to the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel 38. I want to show you the relevance of Russia attacking Ukraine in our day and age. This was written over, well, these were written thousands of years ago. This prophecy, the most, I consider this particular prophecy one of the most relevant in the Word of God. Written over 2,000 years ago, plus, probably three, well, more than 3,000 years ago. And I want to show you what the Bible has to say about what we're seeing today. Ezekiel chapter 38, verses 1 through 4, let's begin there. <clears throat> and the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, set thy face against Gog, the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal, and prophesy against him. Him. That's an individual. Gog is an individual. Magog is a place. It's a land. It's a country. It's an area. Uh, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal is Gog. Gog is an individual who is the leader of the land of Magog. Magog, my friend, is Russia. Notice what it says next. And say, thus saith the Lord God, behold, I am against the old Gog and the, uh, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal. I will turn thee back and put hooks into thy jaws, and I will bring thee forth. Now this is what God tells Gog. He said, I'm against you. I'm going to put hooks in your jaws. I'm going to bring you forth. What's he talking about? God says, I'm going to take Russia one day in the latter days, and I'm going to pull Russia from the northern parts and Russia is going to invade Israel. God's chosen people. You say, well, why would God do that? Well, I'll show you a little bit later why God's going to do it. But God says, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take Russia and all of his end-time alliance allies, and I'm going to pull you out of the northern part, and I'm going to have you attack my chosen people. What would entice Russia to invade Israel? Well, I thought about four different types of hooks. When I was a child growing up, I went fishing with my uncle, and my uncle was a good fisherman. He had no kids, so he would take me. And I borrowed my father's fishing rod and reel. And my dad said, if you do anything to hurt that rod and reel, 
It'd be on your your head, you know what I'm saying? He was saying he's, he's going to give me a, a, you know some education with a board of education, and so my uncle and I were out fishing, and I took and cast as far as I could cast it, and it had been raining, and it slipped out of my hand, just like that water did, and down, down, down to the depths of the, the lake went my dad's rod and reel. I was petrified. My dad's going to kill me. And so my uncle put some big treble hooks and sinkers on the line. He cast it out there to try to hook and pull it up. Unfortunately, it didn't work. But I thought about those hooks, you know, had different prongs on it. Three or four, I can't remember. And that's what God said. I'm going to put hooks into your jaws and pull you out of the northern part. And so I thought, what kind of hooks would God use to entice Gog to invade Israel? And I thought about the economic hook. Let's look at that. Israel recently found natural gas and oil off the coast of Haifa and Tel Aviv. For the longest time, Israel was the only Middle Eastern country that didn't have any oil. Now they have both. The Dead Sea, worth trillions of dollars, trillions, could pay off the national debt of America. The bromine, the potash, all the different chemicals, all the different minerals that can be harvested from the Dead Sea makes it one of the most valuable commodities any country has to own. Think about uh, produce. You know, in Israel, anything that can grow in the world can grow in Israel. You have the Jezreel Valley, which is called Armageddon, but you have that valley, that Jezreel Valley, uh, that is so fertile that they grow all kinds of crops, and they sell them to their Arab neighbors. How about that? Hogs being raised in Israel. You say, well, I didn't think Jews ate hogs. Well, they're not supposed to. Muslims don't eat them either. Then why are they raising them? Because American tourists like me like to have sausage and ham for breakfast when I go there. Now, the Jewish rabbis don't get too tore up about hog farms because if you'll notice, those hogs are walking on pallets. And they say they're not walking on the land of Israel. They're suspended between heaven and earth. <laughs> Oy vey, business is business, you know. And then you have the olive industry. Uh, how many of you ladies know what EVO is? Extra virgin olive oil. How many of you use extra virgin olive oil? Can I tell you something, ladies? You don't use extra virgin olive oil because you can't afford it. It's over $100 a bottle. The EVO that we have here in America is not extra virgin olive oil. It's very expensive, and I doubt seriously anybody in America actually has uh, the real stuff. Uh, flowers, uh, I love flowers. And, and the bottom right-hand corner is my favorite flowers. It's called the Rose of Sharon. I know we call it the Rose of Sharon, but it's actually Sharon in Hebrew. Ariel Sharon, the prime minister, the once prime minister of Israel. S-H-A-R-O-N, spelled the same way. So this is called the Rose of Sharon. Uh, when you think about the diamond cutting industry 
Israel has the number one diamond cutting industry in the world. I thought about another hook, the Islamic hook. And uh, today, you got to understand that the Arab world is united by Islam. Uh, the 6th century, it was Muhammad who, who decided to invent a religion. Oh, did I say that? To invent a false damnable heresy. That's what I should have said. Uh, that today has united the Arab world. Islam is a cult. It's a false doctrine. It's a damnable heresy, the Bible calls it. Make no mistake about it. It was invented by the self-proclaimed prophet Muhammad. He, uh, the reason why you see a, a crescent moon on top of the uh, mosques is because uh, Allah was the chief Mesopotamian moon god, and, uh, and that's who Muhammad chose as his chief deity. So how about that? Anyway, today there are more than 2 billion Muslims in the world. Not all Muslims are terrorists, but a lot of terrorists are Muslim. And so we have a bad uh, feeling about it. We shouldn't have that. We shouldn't. Listen, Muslims, Arabs need Jesus as much as you and I need Jesus. Jews need Jesus as much as you and I need Jesus. And we ought to seek to win Muslims to Christ. I have a, a, a lady from Texas uh, named Sophia who converted from the Quran to Christ. And I bring her into my area uh, for the last two or three years, and we go into churches, and, and she gives her testimony of why she changed or why she turned from the Quran to Christ. It'll break your heart, her testimony. And then the second night, she teaches on how to effectively witness to Muslims. Next month, I'll be bringing Aharon Yahav from Tel Aviv, Israel, to my area. And we'll be going into churches in uh, West Virginia, Illinois, Salina, Kansas, uh, Lodi, New Jersey, and, um, and uh, actually uh, Asheboro, North Carolina, uh, not too far up the road here. And uh, he talks about Israel from an Israeli point of view. And then I preach on Israel and end-time prophecy. God would have all men be saved, come to a knowledge of the truth. But Islam is growing exponentially. And uh, it, it, it's become a, a real threat to the world as we know it. Can you imagine if Christians wrote, behead those who insult Jesus can you imagine what people would say? What kind of people are you that you would put something like that? Well, Muslims do it all the time. Muslim, devout Muslims do it all the time. And when you look at all these pictures, what countries in the Middle East do you think you find these particular places? It would surprise you, I'm sure, if I told you every one of these pictures on the screen are in Russia. Russia. Why? Because 35% of Russia, uh, Russia's population today is Muslim. Vladimir Putin has made it his purpose in life to buddy up with the Islamic world. And uh, today, you have Muslims that will block the traffic in downtown Moscow because they're kneeling toward Mecca and praying in the middle of the afternoon. Uh, 
during the Cold War uh, in Russia, you couldn't worship Jesus Christ, let alone Allah. You, they turned uh, churches into museums during the Cold War. But today, this is what you see in downtown uh, Moscow during Ramadan. Another hook, uh, the strategic hook. We've seen the Islamic hook and now the strategic hook. What do I mean by that? Well, Israel is right at the crossroads of three different continents. If you control Israel, you control access to Europe, to Asia, and to Africa. So that's pretty strategically significant. Controlling the Suez Canal is vitally important because without the Suez Canal, people would have to go all the way around the tip of Africa to get to the west. Uh, not only that, the Golan Heights, if you want to have access into Israel, to the Mediterranean Sea in that area, then you have to go through northern Israel. I've been to the Golan Heights many times. As a matter of fact, uh, there's a large military presence there, Israeli defense forces, uh, because this is the most vulnerable part of Israel, and their enemies would like to come through that, that particular area. As a matter of fact, they have these signs. I don't know if you've ever seen these signs. How many of you have ever been to Israel? Anybody here? You have? Do you see that sign? Did you go up to the Golan? Uh, that sign has three different languages. In English, it says danger mines. And in Hebrew, the top right-hand side, it says danger mines. And then the bottom uh, left right-hand side, it says welcome picnic tables in Arabic. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's just a joke. Anyway, that's what my, uh, my tour guide one time I had, Boaz, Shalgi, he said, yeah, it says, welcome picnic tables. Uh, they're welcoming the Muslim worlds to come on into the minefield. It won't hurt anything. Let's look at Ezekiel 38 again, verses 4 through 7. God says, I will bring thee forth, and all thine armies, horsemen, horses and horsemen, all of them clothed with all sorts of armor, even a great company with bucklers and shield. Now what we're going to see in Ezekiel 38 is called specific predictive prophecy. What does that mean? Specific predictive prophecy. It means that God is going to name names, names of countries that will participate in this end time invasion of the nation of Israel. He's going to give us specific nations that will participate. Notice what he says. Persia. Persia. What's Persia? That's Iran. In Iran, they still speak Persian. Ethiopia, Libya, parts of Africa, Muslim nations, I might add. Gomer, his bands, the house of Tagarma, Turkey, the north quarters, and all his bands, many people with them. What we see here is God giving specific names of countries that will be allies with Russia, with Gog specifically, and they will collectively attack the nation of Israel in the last days. Who are these end-time invaders? Well, Gog, remember, he's the leader of the coalition. He's the chief Prince of uh, Meshach and Tubal, uh, Moscow, Tobolsk, Russia, actually. When you look at Magog, Meshach, Tubal, these are all Russian 
depictions. Persia speaks of Iran, Ethiopia, Sudan, West Africa, uh, Libya, North Africa, Gomer to Garma is Turkey. What would unite such diverse countries? Back in the days of Ezekiel, these countries had nothing in common. Today they do. You all know what it is? Of course you do. It's painfully obvious. In one word, Islam. God is allowing these countries to be united by using this religion against the Jewish people. Now somebody say, well, you're being racist or you're being a bigot or you're being, I'm being biblical is what I'm being. Read it for yourself. I'm not trying to pick a fight with Muslims. You listen, I wish I could lead more Muslims to the Lord. I have led Muslims to the Lord. It's been a while. I've led Jews to the Lord. And I've led Gentiles to the Lord. Anybody who's not a Jew is a Gentile. Muslims are Gentiles. They need to be saved. Today, joint games are being conducted by all of these different countries, Russia, Iran, China, and a lot of Muslim nations. If you watch the news, you'll see these things are coming to pass. Look at all these flags. And they're all enemies of Israel and the United States, I might add. Why, why do people hate us? Because we're, we're allies of Israel, and they don't like the Jews. Russia today continues to test NATO defenses. Uh, Russia's using NATO as the reason why they invaded Ukraine. Just a few years ago, Putin signed a set of Soviet military doctrines identifying NATO as its number one enemy. And he also, at the same time, said Russia's military is untouchable. Well, Ukraine has touched it a few times. These are people in Russia protesting Putin's invasion of Ukraine. Why would they do that? Because many of them have relatives in Ukraine. They speak the same language. They used to be part of the same Soviet Union. I ask again, why is this relevant to us? Notice what it says in Ezekiel 38, 16. Thou shalt come up against my people of Israel as a cloud to cover the land. It shall be when? In the latter days. What we're seeing today is the setting up of this invasion that will take place in Israel in the latter days. And if we're seeing the setting up of what Ezekiel has already shown us, can we not say that we're living in the last days? Now, what does that mean? Well, if we're living in the last days, we ought to be about the Father's business. What's the Father's business? To proclaim the gospel, to preach the word of God, to those who are lost, to try to win the loss to Christ at any cost. Too many of us, well, I got my fire insurance. I'm going to sit soaking sour right here in this church until the Lord comes. Shame on you. Shame on you. I'm glad somebody loved me enough to tell me about Jesus. I've been saved 50 years. And I've never gotten over the fact I deserve hell, but God saved me. How will Israel ever survive being attacked from the north, south, east, and west? If you look on a map at those countries I just gave you, 
that they're coming from all points of the compass. How in the world will that little tiny country, an hour and a half wide by car, five hours long by car, survive such an invasion? Well, I got good news for you. God will defeat Gog. How does he do it? If you read Ezekiel 38, he does it supernaturally with an earthquake. He does it with friendly fire, causing confusion among the enemies of Israel, and they begin firing on themselves. He does it with disease that uh, spreads throughout the armies invading the nation of Israel. And he does it by using natural disasters. In other words, NATO can't take credit for it. The United States can't take credit for it. Uh, the United Nations wouldn't take credit for it if they did it. In Israel, they call the UN the United Nothing because it's the most anti-Semitic organization on planet Earth. And, and, and of course, Israel, their defenses can't even take credit for it because God defeats Gog supernaturally. And then why would God even allow such a war? That's a legitimate question. Why would God allow this war? And let me give you the answer, and we're just about done. In Ezekiel 39, 7, God says, So I will make my holy name known in the midst of my people Israel. I will not let them pollute my holy name anymore. And the heathen shall know that I am the Lord the Holy One in Israel. Why does God allow this war to satisfy two things? He wants Israel to know that He's God, and He wants the heathen to know that He's the God of Israel. Do you know God? Do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? You say, Preacher, I, 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 don't, I don't know what you mean. Have you ever seen yourself as a sinner? The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. But the Bible also says the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You, know, you can live life however you want to. God doesn't size you up for howdy-doody strings. God doesn't force you in this life to bow your knee before Him. But the Bible says there's coming a day when every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that he is Lord unto the glory of God. Whether you do it in this life or the next life, you're going to do it. But if you wait until then, it's too late. You'll be cast into a lake of fire where the worm dieth not, the fire is not quenched. The Bible says there's weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. Total darkness, separation from God forever and ever and ever and ever. No second chance. We've conditioned our youth today that they can have 10, 15, 20 different chances. Oh, I'll give you another chance. I'll give you another chance. Used to be a time when you did it wrong, you got what was coming. And, and when, when God, when you stand before judgment in front of God, there are no second chances. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. I never knew you. 
And that's it. No hope. Now you have hope. Jesus says, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. But you've got to come. That's an exercise of your faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Have you ever considered that? Have you ever thought about asking Jesus Christ to forgive you and to come into your heart? Right now is the best time to do that. The Bible is very clear. Today is the day of salvation. Right now. You don't have the promise of tomorrow. I don't either. I got saved when I was 15 years old. I've been saved over 50 years. I've never been sorry. Oh, I've sinned. I've been sorry, but I've never been sorry I got saved. I don't know why God puts up with any of us, to be honest with you, but He does. And that motivates me to serve Him the way I should. Father in heaven, we love you and we thank you for loving us. I pray, Father, that Lord, you would take this message and by the Holy Spirit speak to hearts as only you can. We'll praise you for what you're going to do in this invitation in Jesus' name. Amen.